Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Katherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. We are back. I thought I was going to be able to do episodes all summer long. And then I just got, as I like to say, booked and blessed. I had a lot going on this summer. Uh, It absolutely flew by, but I'm so excited to be back. We've got a new NBA season. Feels so good to have NBA basketball back. Um, Just if you're new to the show, hello, my name is Catherine Niker. I'm a writer and stand-up comedian and lifelong Toronto Raptors fan. I've spent the better part of this year and a bit of this summer and fall uh, writing for the CBC show Run the Burbs. Uh, There's going to be a new season out this January, as well as a new show called Late Bloomer, which is going to be out sometime, I want to say next year, on Crave, and it stars YouTube's Just Rain. I don't know if anybody remembers Just Rain or not. He was very massive on YouTube, and then he just kind of wiped himself off uh, the face of the earth completely, but he's going to be back with a new show, and I'm so blessed to be a writer on both of those, and I'm really, really excited. And as well, I was covering the WNBA all season along with Confederacy of Dunks, Freddie Rivas. Uh, So if you're interested in the WNBA, uh, please check out our podcast called The Pickup. Uh, It is very friendly for new fans or people who are curious about the league. So you don't have to have followed the league for the past 25 years to be able to follow our podcast. We're new fans ourselves, and we very much uh, approach the league from that perspective. So, yeah, it's been a very fun, very crazy time for me. But I'm very glad to be back covering the NBA Um, I have an amazing guest for you this week. I really wanted to kick this off with a bang, and I was able to book one of my favorite NBA people ever, and that is Ben Golliver. Ben Golliver is a writer for the Washington Post. He also released the book called Bubble Ball. He spent the entire NBA bubble in the bubble, covering it all right there in person, and he wrote an amazing book about it. Definitely check that out. As well, he hosts the GOAT podcast, the greatest of all talk podcast. They do episodes two days a week. I'm a subscriber to that podcast. There's any uh, other GOAT followers, uh, any crossover here, let me know because I'm one of them. Anyway, he's an absolutely fantastic guest. I was so excited to have him. So thank you again for being here with me. I'm so excited for this year and for this journey. And welcome my guest, Ben Golliver. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Still trying to recover from that Lakers disaster on Tuesday night, but uh, doing okay. I know it's been a couple days. Everybody else probably moved on a little bit more quickly than I did, but being here in LA and watching these guys on, you know, pretty close to a night to night basis, 
Not the start people were looking for, but on the flip side, Golden State looked like they're ready to run it back and try to repeat and, and become the first team to repeat since they did it like five years ago. So uh, a lot going on. I think your Raptors won opening night too, right? So that must have been yes, exciting. Yes, we did. That was exciting. It was a very exciting finish. Um, well, it's just so nice to have games going on like every single spot. There was like 10 games on Wednesday night. They're all pretty good. So uh, I'm juiced up, put it that way. Yeah, no, I am too. And I think for you, when you say you're still recovering from Tuesday, I mean, you were there in person. So it's different for you than it is for the rest of us. Like, you know, we're following that news cycle. We're already like, okay, the Lakers are done. What's next? <laughs> but you're like, no, I have to go to these Laker games all no, it's season tr- and it's, watch it's this happen in real time. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's trauma. Yeah, you just watched a car crash. It's going to take you a day or two to like unwind from that, right? No, I mean, what did go well for them in that particular game, right? Like no shooting whatsoever to the point where LeBron's just calling out the entire roster. Russell Westbrook comes up with some weird hamstring injury excuse about how if he comes off the bench, he can't get warm enough, and therefore he's going to get injured if they try to bench oh him. So it's like this implicit threat that he has to start. Anthony Davis actually plays really well, but it doesn't matter because they're down by 27 points in the third quarter. Golden State's not even playing great. I would say it was sort of like a B effort from the Warriors, um, at least until the end, and it still was completely one-sided. Patrick Beverly, their big new addition, gave them nothing. I mean, they have so many non-starter quality players that Darvin Ham didn't even want to announce the starting lineup before the first game of the season because <laughs> he really has two starters on his team, LeBron and AD. I mean, what could have gone worse, I guess, in this, you know, other than injury, what really could have gone worse for the Lakers? So we'll see if they panic. You know, I think it's a it's a huge question here uh, coming up in the first like month or two of the season is like, do they just start throwing draft picks out the window because they hate their lives so much. It's it's hard to stay disciplined after losses like that. Yeah, well, that was one of my questions for you because you captured, well, you and maybe a few other reporters that were there captured LeBron talking about the lack of lasers, quote unquote, on his team after their very first game. And right. I was like, man, for LeBron to just go after his teammates like that after just one game. And so I thought I'd ask you as a fun question, you know, because everybody's talking about, you know, the demise of this Lakers. Like, is there any kind of path to their redemption, like, at all? Nope. That you no, see? they're done. None at all. <laughs> <They're>, well, <laughs> the thing I loved about the lack of lasers quote is it really sets up one of the great new tongue twisters of our time. So it's LeBron's Los Angeles Lakers lost because they lacked a lot of lasers. Try to say that five times fast. <laughs> it's just like unbelievable wordplay from LeBron about the uh, the lack of lasers, but he's completely right. I mean, they were two for their first 20 on three-pointers. Like, that's terrible. You know, you don't have to even be a calculus student to know that's 10%. Not good. <laughs> and no matter who they put out there, right, no matter what lineup they construct, they don't have great shooting because Russ, AD, and now LeBron himself are not really that good at three-point shooters. You know, LeBron takes a lot of threes, He's kind of moved into that stage of his career where he settles for a lot of threes. And when he's not hitting, the offense just stagnates so much because everybody's standing around watching and assuming he's going to pull up and take shots. So to me, the offense was actually the bigger deal than their defense. You know, they had a lot of defensive problems last year, too. I thought they were okay on that side. I mean, they didn't really slow down the Warriors that much, but the offense was so bad, so choppy, so ugly that it feels, you know, basically unfixable. Now, I think the the natural knee-jerk reaction is, we'll go trade for, like, a Buddy Heald. He could be your shooter. 
I mean, Buddy Heald has been one of those guys who sounds good in theory and has really done nothing in his NBA career the entire way. So he's not going to be changing this formula. I just think when you're looking at the Western Conference, you've got a heck of a lot of younger teams, more athletic teams, teams with better chemistry, and a lot of teams with better shooting. And you're not going to be able to overcome all of those things just because you've got that name Lakers on your jersey. And, and last point with them, this is okay. You know, I understand people like freak out and they just can't believe, oh, the Lakers are this travesty. Like LeBron is about to turn 38. That is not winning time in the NBA, right? Winning time is like late 20s, early 30s. This was bound to happen. And I really think the best thing that could happen in this entire NBA season is for everyone who just assumes LeBron's going to be like one of the very best players for the rest of his, uh, for the rest of time, right? He's going to be one of the top three NBA players until he's 100 years old to just scale those thoughts back, to understand that even LeBron is human and he's going to age, and to just take the pressure off this group. They're not contenders. They'll be lucky if they make the play-in. I don't think they're actually going to make it. And just chill out. That's my message to everybody after one game. I don't even think that qualifies <laughs> as, an, as an overreaction because we watched the exact same story last year, didn't we? We absolutely did. And then they didn't really make any changes this offseason. Not that they had a ton of options, right? I mean, there was a... Kyrie Irving flirtation that was rumored to have happened, but really, you know. Well, he looked great on opening night, didn't he? If you need somebody <laughs> to, to dribble in circles and miss a 15-foot jumper, Kyrie is your guy. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> his, his laser wasn't dialed in either against the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, Kyrie is one of these guys, too. I think people need to accept what stage of his career he's at. I mean, this is not 2016 Kyrie scoring 40 40 um, you know, in the playoff, in the finals, rather, and winning a title and hitting a big shot. I mean, this guy's trying to find himself. I saw all sorts of comments from him coming into the season. How oh, I'm going to get serious. You know, I've got to do this. You know, my, I think he said his daughter was challenging him or something along those lines. Wow. Like, this is the year he's got to kind of shape up. Uh, I mean, there was like four or five Pelicans players who played better than Kyrie did in the opener, and they got absolutely blown out on their home court. No defensive answers whatsoever for Zion Williamson. The Nets, to me, they look a little bit old. They look a little bit soft. They don't look super interested in playing defense. And I'm not sure they solved any of their problems either. Maybe this is the developing theme. If you're in denial about your flaws as a basketball team and you just try to run it back, that will not go well for you. And I think the Lakers <laughs> and the Nets have figured that out. And I think we're on the countdown watch already for how long until Steve Nash is, is kind of the person who takes the blame here. Yeah. I think those two teams are going to satisfy what I would consider uh, a morbid curiosity. <laughs> right. Way to put that. Um, I want to ask you being, cause you, you cover the whole NBA, but you attend a lot of both Lakers and Clippers games as a result. What is like, is there a massive difference between the vibe of those two teams. Now, obviously like one team has like expectations and the other one doesn't not realistic yeah. ones at least, but just in terms of like a fandom, just going into the arena itself, like how different is it for you? Well, at the Lakers games, I mean, you have the very glitzy and glamoury Lakers girls and at the Clippers game, you've got a giant bird named Chuck the Condor who will rub his body <laughs> on you at basically any moment. So I think that probably, <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably summarizes there's no clippers there's no clippers cheerleaders oh no they have everything you could possibly want so when steve ballmer bought the clippers his whole idea was he wanted to engage fans the entire time they wouldn't leave their seats so they'd become kind of more diehard fans and so they like really cheer louder and give the clippers a home court advantage because 
for years they were known as being this quiet fan base where like other teams would come and buy the tickets and sort of they didn't really have a home court advantage so he has a stunt team a dance team a cheerleading team he's got uh bazookas that shoot hot dogs into the stands he's got t-shirt cannons He's got Chuck the Condor. Chuck the Condor is the mascot. It also has a secondary mascot. I don't know the secondary bird in the mascot's name, but he shows up <laughs> every once in a while. And then every year on Chuck the Condor's birthday, they pay like a lot of money to bring in like 15 or 20 other mascots to celebrate Chuck the Condor's birthday during one of the games. So you'll see like half of the NBA's mascots. They've all been put up at like really nice hotels in LA, flown in and everything like that solely to celebrate the mascot's birthday. So it's a very um, family-friendly environment. They're still trying to cultivate the diehard Clippers fan. I think the problem for them these last couple of years is they've been really good, but their stars have been in and out. So you don't necessarily have that strong connection between the fan base and a Kawhi Leonard because he's not really out there on the court a lot. Now, the kind of uh, you know players that the fans rally around, it's like the Patrick Beverly types, right? Uh, right. When he played for the Clippers, where he's just kind of a grinder, he's going to, you know, dive on the floor or talk trash and give you that underdog spirit. That's really what the Clippers fans uh, relate to. So they're still trying to completely forge that identity, but they will have their own building in a couple of years. They're moving out to Inglewood. And I think that's going to help them a lot because they're just in the Lakers uh, shadow. I mean, I'm sure you've heard they like put up signs above the Lakers you know, uh, title banners when they have when they host their game, so nobody else can see all the Lakers wins because obviously the Clippers don't really have any banners of their own, right? So it's a tricky spot to be in. Um, they don't get as many A-list celebrities, but you know, every once in a while you'll see somebody from like the TV show Silicon Valley, or you know, they'll pay to have some rappers <laughs> come uh, show up at halftime. You'll be like, wow, that's pretty good. Like they got that guy. That's awesome. So, but totally they do different. pay them to show up, right? Oh, I'm sure you get a big appearance fee. Yeah, I mean. I remember one playoffs, I saw Montel Jordan in like six different arenas. I mean, he was just playing NBA halftime like it was a tour. You know, he was just going from right. like Golden State to Boston to wherever else. So, yeah, I hope somebody's covering his expenses on that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, Lakers, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's big time celebs. You know, you'll see Rihanna, you'll see the Kardashians every once in a while, Jack Nicholson, obviously. Um, you know, it's it's a different vibe. It's got the this, this staged lighting, you know, at the court, so it really feels like a movie. But when they don't play well, it just kind of feels like a bad movie. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny what you said. Well, first of all, like, I did not know about this mascot's birthday celebration. That's <laughs> actually kind it. of wild to me because I feel like our beloved Raptor deserves that maybe more than any other mascot in the league like our raptor i feel is the greatest mascot obviously this is a biased uh point of view but i do think there's a real case to be made there but uh you know it's interesting too what you said about Kawhi because i felt when he was here obviously we were very grateful we won a championship and all of that but i did find it difficult to like uh connect with him emotionally Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know if like how many fans feel that exact way. Maybe it's a little polarizing. I did like when the whole like Kawhi and dying thing was happening when we were desperate to try and get him to stay here for that brief moment of free agency. I did put that sign out on my window. Just I was like, what if he's driving by? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I did put that out there just oh, in good case. For you. You know, I was like, look, I have uh, an apartment in a rich neighborhood. You just you never know. 
So I put that out there, but really like, yeah, I don't know if the fans like emotionally connected with him quite in the same way. Also too, I felt like the Clippers were kind of using a lot of the catchphrases that came up with during his championship run here. Like, you know, I'm a fun guy and all that. And they were just kind of rehashing that. And it's like, nah, man, you got to come up with your own. Well, they, they really unveiled this whole King of L.A. campaign in between them and, like, New Balance. That was the one when he first came to L.A. That was, like, yeah. LeBron versus Kawhi. is very confrontational. Didn't go well for them. LeBron wins the title in 2020, and Kawhi <laughs> kind of disappears off the face of the earth for, like, the last 18 months. But Kawhi's comeback is one of the biggest stories in the league right now. You know, the Clippers yeah. on paper are arguably the deepest team. In terms of the emotional connection, I mean, he also, like, lives in San Diego and basically, like, helicopters up for games. I mean, he pretty much does whatever he wants. So I wouldn't really say he's necessarily been embraced by L.A. Uh, I think it's similar to, you know, like, Kyle Lowry was, like, more popular as a rapper, right, than mm-hmm. Kawhi. Like, even when they were teammates, it wasn't, you know, people, like, knew Kawhi was the best player, but I don't think he was, like, the most popular player on the team or – even some of the younger guys, I, I feel like that's kind of the vibe with the Clippers too, where every once in a while Kawhi just shows up, he scores 35, it looks great. Um, but you don't see a ton of Kawhi Leonard jerseys, not nearly as many as you would expect at these games. So even though they're in their fourth year, they're kind of still trying to feel things out just because they lost so much time with the pandemic um, and because they lost so much time with his injury, which cost him really all of last season, his knee injury. So yeah. it feels like a fresh start for the Clippers. You know, they're bringing Kawhi back. Paul George missed a lot of time last year. John Wall's new. Um, you know, so in a way, they're a little bit reloaded, and they should be a fun story to uh, to watch this season. I mean, they should be really good on paper. And they actually share a lot of strategic and philosophical stuff with the Raptors in terms of the small ball and the interchangeable lineups and, like, let's play super aggressive defense and try to force turnovers and shoot a lot of threes. Like all that stuff to me is really interesting. And and we'll see if the Clippers can kind of, like you said, rip off the Raptors model and, and have it work for them. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you phrasing it that way. Um, so I wanted to, I put together a little uh, fun thing for us here where I said, I started off my email to you very dramatically. Uh, admittedly, I said, I've turned a full 180 when it comes to loyalty in relation to the NBA, right? Like teams who hold on to these struggling superstars tend to take longer to rebuild. And so I feel like there's a lot of, and I'm sure a lot of people listening agree with that. So there's a lot of talk about different franchises. Should they keep it together or should they move on? And so I picked four teams that I thought would be interesting to discuss um, one of them is kind of an obvious keep it together. So we'll start here. Well, uh, hold on. This, this sounds oh. to me like you've entered your ghosting era. So what you're saying is just like, let people go, just get rid of them. Just cut ties. Like don't hang on. Loyalty's well, I- overrated. We got to just, you know, <laughs> look out for self. Is that what you're saying here? Well, when I was younger, I used to be more, I used to be more loyal, right? Okay. As an NBA fan, I used to get more emotionally attached and all of that. But you know, one now that I've won a championship, Oh, you're ruthless now, I see. <laughs> in, in the style that we did, yeah, I've become more ruthless now. Okay, all right. Do you have, do you have an opinion on that before I get into the teams? Well, I mean, I think that loyalty to me in the NBA, at least, it's like one of those ideals where it actually works out. It's so amazing, and, like, we should hold it up. But it's so rare these days. I mean, LeBron, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George – 
Chris Paul have all played for at least three teams since 2016. So, like, what is loyalty yeah. even anymore? That was you know, nice how you listed that off right there. Well, that was from my preview columns. Still stuck in my head here. Okay, uh, but, nice. yeah, yeah, we're in this era where, like, loyalty, if you stay for three years, now all of a sudden you're, like, redefined as a loyal person, right? It's like Kevin Durant's trying to force a trade before he had even started his four-year contract. Like, I've never even heard of anything like that, right? So – um, when you get the rare case of a Curry or a Jokic or a Giannis, we should celebrate those guys. But that, to me, it's like now an unrealistic standard. Like we can't just go around to like every young guy and say, "Well, Paolo Bancaro, if you you know decide at some point you want to leave Orlando, now you're like this horrible person or whatever." You know, like it just. And then you flip it around the other way. If you're a team. If you're committing big, big money, like max money to players after their 32nd birthday, you can back yourself into a corner so quick, right? Like the Wizards right. just paying Bradley Beal, they're going to be stuck because there's a no trade clause. That deal is going to really like just loom over them like an anvil. Um, or even the Chicago Bulls with Zach Levine, giving him this giant contract, but he can't even play opening night because his knees still hurt. That's going to just loom over their contract, their, their salary cap looks for years and years and years. So you have to be careful, I think, both ways. And I do think in general, I'm a little bit more forgiving of both sides. You know, if teams want to be ruthless like the Clippers and just cut ties with Blake Griffin and move forward, I mean, that's really tough in the moment. But it obviously worked out well for the Clippers. That was the right decision to make, right, being ruthless. And flip side, you know, I'm not going to deny a player if he wants to try to force a trade or if he's not happy. I mean, I, I believe in free agency and, and um, you know, wanting to be able to determine where you live and where you work. So I understand that. But I do think um, what we've learned is too much activity creates instability and it's really hard to win with an uh, unstable climate. Right. Look at the Nets right. like they they can't win big because everything keeps changing. And, and same thing with the Lakers, too. So. Um, there is real value in loyalty. I think you will be rewarded in the long run if you have a certain degree of loyalty uh, more often than not. But I, there is s such a thing as too much of a good thing, I guess. Wow. Well, that's a very good way to put that. I, uh, I put down four teams. I think some of these are ob more obvious than others. Do you think they should keep it together or do you think it's time to move on? So the first one, then is the Golden State Warriors. Now, obviously, this team, they're reigning champs. But I put this here because there's a ton of Dewey trade Draymond Green talk. So I thought I'd get your your feedback on that. I mean, I think from how they played on the court, it looked like they had moved past that punch to me. You know, Jordan Poole looks mm -hmm. comfortable. Doesn't seem like he's walking on eggshells. Draymond was contributing. For this year, I would not trade him um, unless there's another fight like he just can't stop punching people then it's like all right dude just chill out right but assuming that he can be on his good behavior and he's been saying all the right things I would run it back for this year because I think they have a really good chance to win the title I mean their system is so good they're so deep I mean Steve Kerr was talking about playing 11 guys in his normal rotation this season because they have so many guys who are good enough to like actually earn minutes so they're going to be able to really keep the minutes off of their older stars it's going to be a huge advantage come playoff time so I think you run forward with that. Now, next summer becomes a different question. Like if he's trying to get another big contract and you're the Warriors, you're already set to have a record payroll next year, which is bigger than your record payroll this year, which is bigger than your <laughs> record payroll last year. You know, they're going to be setting records three years in a row in terms of how much money they've paid in salary and luxury tax. And nobody else is even really that close. Like they're out and they're in the stratosphere by themselves. 
I mean, there's, you know, possible that they spend 500 million on salary and payroll uh, and uh, and luxury taxes next year. That's just a crazy, crazy number. I mean, most teams are paying like 150 or somewhere around there, you know, so they're just in a situation where financially it's probably going to become difficult. and They're going to have to make some choices. If Draymond winds up on the cutting room floor, that wouldn't surprise me. But I, I would say that's a question for next summer. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And currently, I do think the Warriors very much could repeat, like you said, for the first time since they last repeated. Uh, I also think they moved on from that punch. I mean, not that I understand men or anything, but I feel like sometimes guys will just punch each other and then they become best friends somehow. You know what I mean? Well, what it was weird, it was like they were they were painting it like they were already really close because I guess Draymond had been like his mentor and like his big brother. And they'd be like sitting next to each other in the locker room every single day for years because they're both from Michigan. Um, yeah. I actually wondered if that was the problem. Like, you know, I'm a big Michigan football fan, and we've just been awesome this year. Michigan State's been terrible. Draymond <laughs> was talking about, you know, he's having a lot of tough times in his life. I mean, maybe he's just watching the Spartans play, you know, and he just had to take out his aggression hmm. on uh, Jordan Poole, a representative of the greatest college football program in the country. That's, you know, it's a big rivalry up there. Uh, maybe uh, maybe that was behind the uh, behind the fisticuffs. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, it's um, a solid theory. Uh, I think it was more of a self-sabotaging move on yeah. his part of my opinion but yeah also well, maybe it's a michigan state thing i mean kudos to him he's already spun it into content for tnt you know everything's content these days even your lowest moment where you're punching mm-hmm. your teammate for absolutely no reason it has to get leaked on tnt or on tmz rather so um you know draymond's got his hands in a lot of uh you know different things right now and we'll see if he can balance it all i mean he's their x factor you know back in 2015 2016 2017 when they were really good he was rock solid i mean other than the you know the below the uh, belt shot to lebron in the 2016 finals he was about as reliable as you can get captaining an amazing defense and and just really helping their offense and you know, get unlocked with steph curry he's been a lot shakier i mean even last year's playoffs it was more up and down type stuff and and this year i think one year older it could be more of the same so to me if they don't win the title it's either injuries or it's Draymond. If they do, uh, that means he's done you know well enough to kind of keep things going. But you look forward into the future, guys like Kaminga and Moody, are they able to fill that role? You know, potentially they're not going to do everything that Draymond did, but maybe they can fill it well enough to kind of keep the Warriors in the mix. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you know I was so impressed with his defense last year, particularly against Jokic in that first round. I thought he was just putting on a full-on masterclass in defense during that. And I think they've done, even though it's cost them a lot of money, they've done such a great job finding younger players to continue to build around this core. And like you said, like taking the minutes off of them and stuff like that. I feel like they're in position to keep doing that long-term. And I feel like Draymond could almost have like a, like a Marcus Saul role the way he did with the Raptors during their championship season, where it's like, yes, you start, but it's primarily a defensive role. You know, you're not scoring more than 10 points a game and, you know, the offensive load is on everyone else. And I think like he could, if he is willing, could transition into that type of a role and still keep this core alive. Um, totally. The problem is he doesn't want Marcus sell money though. You know, Draymond wants one more payday and that's, yeah, that's really he's not going to the- do that veteran, you know, right. Well, yeah. he'll, he'll get there eventually, but it's that's where the rubber meets the road, right? It's like as these guys start to, um, you know, move past their physical prime, they really get into this mentality of like, let's get every last guaranteed dollar we can get. 
you saw with CJ McCollum this summer taking the extension. Chris Paul has taken some extensions that have really gone out quite a while. Even LeBron took a two-year extension with the Lakers when he had to know the Lakers were not going to be in a position to uh, you know, contend for titles. And rather than try to maneuver somewhere else, he just took the guaranteed money. I think all of them in the back of their mind are just worried, well, like what happens if the wheels fall off? You know, I want to be able to make yeah. sure I get that one final payday. And that's really what Draymond is coming up to next summer. You know, it's going to be his last opportunity to make real money. And, uh, you know, there's going to be the Lakers are rumored to be interested. Probably some other teams are going to pop up as well. He does have the option of opting in with the Warriors for one more year if he wants to do that, too. So we'll see exactly how he plays it. But, um, you know, I think for for him, it's it's really about, you know, being self-aware and understanding, like, when is it time to shift roles? When is it time to expect that the, the money might not be there? And that's very, very difficult pills to swallow. I mean, look at Westbrook, you know, John Wall, I mean, some real situations here recently where it's like guys are no longer who they used to be and they just can't wrap their minds around it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It'll be, I'm really excited to see um, how their season unfolds. Um, I've got three other teams here, but maybe let's pick one more just in the interest of time. Who would you like to talk about? between portland chicago and phoenix in terms of loyalty <laughs> well um you know the phoenix one is is a good example because i was at one of their preseason games in las vegas against the lakers and before the game chris paul's just trying to shoot his free throws you know very professionally like to warm up and meanwhile deandre Ayton is just chucking underhanded shots from half court just wasting everybody's time like flinging yeah. them off the backboard the ball's just flying all over the place and at some point after these balls are like flying over the top of Chris Paul, Chris just walks over to the corner of the bench and just sits down by himself in the furthest seat away from everybody else. And just kind of like having a moment, you know, feel like maybe he's trying to like uh, meditate or just get himself somewhere else mentally so that he doesn't have to deal with kind of like this young rambunctious energy of all these guys who, you know, just aren't quite as committed to the winning concept as he is. So something feels like it has to give in Phoenix, you know, at the same time, you look at their opener Chris Paul got benched down the stretch for a lot of that fourth quarter. He was playing really bad, and Monty Williams just said, you know what, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, you're an you're uh-huh. all-star player, all-NBA type guy, you know, you're not getting it done, we're going to go a different direction. So that sets up a really interesting dynamic where is this still going to be Chris's team? Has this now morphed into Devin Booker's team? Um, is DeAndre Ayton still unhappy if Chris isn't playing as big of a role? Because it feels like that's maybe one of the sources of tension is, is just their personality differences. Right. Something has to give. And I can't really see them trading Chris because he's on such a big contract. So maybe it's an Ayton trade. But, you know, to me, this core, this entire group is not good enough to win a title. You know, they had their best shot two years ago. So in terms of loyalty, I really wouldn't be loyal across the board. I mean, obviously you want to keep Booker and keep Bridges. Those are kind of your two best pieces for the future. But I would be very interested in almost any other trade, you know, around the edges. And look at Jay Crowder. I mean, he understands what time it is. He didn't even show up for training camp. <laughs> so he knows that, uh, you know, he, he knows something's, uh, something's amiss. Well, that's just it, right? Because, I mean, I feel like the DeAndre Ayton trade rumors, trade machine's been out there for, like, some time. And I guess, like the right offer just wasn't made. And I'm just yeah, so, wondering, like, why didn't they move on from him this offseason? Well, it was a re- it's a really tricky situation when you're in a restricted free agency because if somebody else makes the offer and you decide to match, then you can't trade that guy until, like, basically the middle of the season. I want to say it's, like, January. So as soon as Indiana came along and was, like, they kind of, like, spoiled Phoenix's plans, they were like, all right, here's an offer for Aiden. 
um, you know, then the Suns were kind of paralyzed. They couldn't include Aiton in a, in a Durant trade. So then they didn't have enough to even go out there and get Durant without Aiton. And so they just kind of got stuck. So I think they're playing this waiting game. And I think that those rumors that you're talking about, those are going to pick up heavy as we get closer to the trade deadline, mm -hmm. just because, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they're just kind of being put on ice right now because of the NBA's rules. Fair. Um, there's one other NBA topic I want to get into major, major topic before we get into the Raptors. That is Victor Wembanyama. So you got to see this guy up close and personal in Vegas. First of all, what was just, just give me a little bit of insight. What was that like for you to see him in person? No, it was incredible. I mean, it was the ultimate like NBA fishbowl experience, right? Because you have this guy who's the future of basketball. I mean, he's the best teenage player I've ever seen in my life in person. I'm a little too young to have seen LeBron as a teenager, but, you know, I saw KD, Anthony Davis. I mean, pretty much everybody else since then. And this guy's seven foot four. He, you know, can shoot from 30 something feet. I mean, he's an unbelievable defensive player, even though it doesn't even really seem like he loves playing defense. Like he's kind of a gunner. It feels like he's a two guard trapped in like uh, Chris Depp's Porzingis' body or something <laughs> like that. But he moves very fluidly. Like he's not like this, you know, slow ogre type guy. And he's just very polished off the court, very good with the media, speaks fluent English, like, you know, is very marketable. So this guy's a total package. But what was so interesting was all 30 NBA teams were there. There was like 200 executives or something along those lines, more than 100 media members all here to watch this guy for these kind of made-for-TV showcases on ESPN. But like the casual fan still didn't know who he was. So they're playing this in like a minor league hockey uh, arena, brand new arena, it seats like 5,500 or 6,000 people. And the first game was like half full. And then the second game, there might've been like a thousand people there, right? So wow. it's like, th this guy has completely captured the imagination of like the diehard basketball people, like the industry, but he hasn't reached like the masses quite yet. Whereas you remember when LeBron was in high school, he's selling out college gyms yeah. and all of his games are televised. Right? Well, wasn't he so, on the cover of like Sports Illustrated in, oh, yeah. in high school? Yeah. Well, yeah. And Victor just, you know, Victor's 18, but he just got his first Slam magazine cover. So it's like he's getting the media attention. He's definitely getting the social media attention. Mm -hmm. But like just, you know, he still has to kind of introduce himself to the American audience. So I think that was a big reason why they actually did this trip is they want Victor to kind of, uh, you know, introduce himself to future basketball consumers and all, you know, fans of teams who have a chance to kind of tank for him. But I was just gobsmacked watching him play. Like I had very high expectations and I've been going to see highly ranked high school players, you know, since I was in high school, like watching Tyson Chandler when he was in, uh, in Compton coming up to Oregon for some high school basketball tournaments. Oh, like, cool. Yeah, and, like, it's always a good time, and you're always excited to see those guys, but it never pays off, like, as well as this paid off, where you're just like, wow, I just watched the future of basketball, and, like, LeBron's calling him an alien, and mm -hmm. Katie and Giannis are like, get ready, this guy's, like, about to take over. Like, everybody kind of sees how incredible of a prospect this guy is, and so to be there at Ground Zero was just unbelievable. It's something I'll never forget, and I just hope that he can stay healthy because, you know, his legs are really, really thin, I mean, from his waist down, like where he would like, you know, have his belt he is tall enough to be like most humans. You know, I mean, he's he's like that tall. I took a picture and put it on Twitter of my shoes, size 13 U.S. compared to his <laughs> shoes, which are size 20.5 U.S., size 55 European. Right. And Ooh. his shoes are al almost twice as long as mine. Right. So it's it's just he's in his own galaxy as a as a basketball 
anatomy, like let alone a player. And he's got the skills to go with the body. So it's it's going to be really fun to watch all these different teams angle for positioning for him. I mean, you had Sam Presti, Oklahoma City's GM, sitting courtside. R.C. Buford was chatting up France's coach. Like everybody's trying to like get their little ins early just yeah. in case they get him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, when you filmed him ducking to go through the security <laughs> check-in, did your jaw drop like mine did? Absolutely, and that was so fu- <laughs> that was so funny because so you know they basically had the same metal detector that you would go through like at the airport, right? That's what they were yeah. using here. And when I walked through it, I don't know about you, I'm six three, but like when I walked through it, I don't even think that there's a top to it. You know, like it's it's so yeah. high up there that it's like not even really registering that you anyone would have to duck. And he, all of his teammates go through, all of his coaches go through, no one else is ducking. And then Victor is like hunched over at the shoulders, like pulling his entire head down underneath it. And we looked it up and this metal detector stands almost seven feet tall, right? And so he's yeah. having to like go way under it to, to get through it. And uh, yeah, that video went like insanely viral because people were like, oh my God, this guy's just different. And you saw him standing next to Rudy Gobert. Even Rudy Gobert himself says, I feel short next to Victor. I mean, Rudy Gobert is yeah. seven foot one. Yeah, he's never he's felt a, short a day in his life. And he's yeah. at least three inches shorter than Victor. And, you know, it's it's possible Victor's seven five. You know, there's a lot of dis- right. like debates and conspiracies. Like, how tall is this guy really? I don't know why you would lie about being seven five and just list yourself as seven four. Well, the big guy, you know, it's funny because <laughs> big guys love to list themselves at 6'11", right? Like they don't want to be viewed as seven footers. Like that happens a lot. Um, and that's happened actually throughout time where it's like, why are there so many guys who are 6'11"? Well, yeah, that was a but, big thing with Kevin Durant, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly right. And so I think that 7'3 might be the new 6'11", you know, where it's like, all right, look, like we obviously <laughs> can't pretend that we're not seven feet, but like we don't have to like, you know, have everybody constantly ask us, you're 7'5", that's crazy, right? So, but he's only 18, who knows, maybe he's still growing. Like who knows that exactly where he's going to be uh, on draft night, but he's also got like the French swag, you know, like he was very well dressed. He went to the Lakers game. He had like really nice drip on really cool sunglasses. Like he dapped up LeBron and AD. Like he's very comfortable in his skin and a lot of big guys aren't. So I think already he's probably going to win best dressed on draft night. I think, it, you know, next wow. year's draft night and um, summer league could be like must see TV, which how often do you say that in October? Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even consider the whole fashion element of all oh, yeah. of this. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting. I, I mean, uh, if I was Louis Vuitton or like one of those uh, companies, I would try to have him be like the face of my stuff. Cause he, I mean, honestly, he has a chance to be mm-hmm. like, you know, on the generational type athlete level where you're crossing over and, you know, you're kind of getting everybody get in early, you know, brand him as a, you know, a representative of France. That's what I Oh my do. God. Yeah. That would be huge. I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happens. Um, I mean, obviously there's going to be a massive tanking race this year to get them. Um, you know, there's some obvious teams that are in that tanking race, <laughs> regardless of whether he's in the picture or not. Right. Um, wondering where do you think would be the best landing spot for Victor? Well, I have two answers to this one where I think it's like the best basketball fit. And then two, which is the most convenient for me. So I can see him play more often. Right. So <laughs> okay. uh, my first answer is if he goes to the Oklahoma city thunder, they're obviously all about development. They're all super young, but if you had Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama side by side, you're basically 
the Monstars, Space Jam 3, right? Yeah. Like, it's you're just in this galaxy where you've got, I don't even know, count it up, uh, 16, 17, 18 feet of wingspan between your two big guys who can both move, can both shoot, can both dribble on the perimeter. Like, it would be so futuristic, and it would be wild, and it would just be hilarious to be, like, in Oklahoma City, one of the NBA's smallest markets, middle of nowhere, with this team that's just like so completely like 22nd century. I would just love to see that. And, you know, they are very serious about, you know, bringing players like when they get in, they want those players to advance year after year after year. And for Victor, the challenge is going to be like, all right, well, you're coming in way more advanced than the average teenager, right? But you're going to have to continue to make improvements year after year, fill out your game, make sure you're efficient, add strength and those kinds of things. And I would love to see him in an organization that's like known for development. Could be the Thunder, could be the Spurs. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, but I I would like to see him in that kind of environment. Now, selfishly, if he played for the Jazz, he's stepping into Rudy Gobert's old job, right? (laughs) But, you know, that's like the closest Western Conference team to me here in Los Angeles. That's an easy flight, L.A. to Salt Lake City. And I, I think he could, you know, we saw how much success Rudy Gobert had as kind of a one-way player. I mean, he was a, a good offensive player, but mostly a, a defensive standout. You know, I think Victor projects as a much more well-rounded, two-way impact type of guy. And, you know, that market would certainly embrace him. They have an amazing fan base. And, you know, my home uh, market of Portland, Oregon, you know, if, if things fall apart for them up there, having Victor, that wouldn't be a bad consolation prize either. But it, the amazing thing about this year's tankers – they all need centers, like every single one of the bad teams, ex- except for maybe Orlando, because they got Wendell Carter Jr. Obviously, you know, you're going to yeah. move him out of the way if you get Victor, right? But like Houston, uh, San Antonio, like all these teams just have massive holes at center, kind of in terms of long-term prospects. So you've got a lot of GMs who are like, not only is Victor just this incredible player, but like he would instantly fix what ails their team, you know? Yeah. I think for me, this is like, this is a very bizarre answer, but in my, I, like, so I've been covering the WNBA all summer as well. I've done so much shitting on Indiana that I just <laughs> feel like if I Don't. say I want him to go to Indiana, that's just good for my own karma. So <laughs> I feel like that needs to be my answer, but I feel like my real answer is probably the Spurs Yeah, where I just feel like that would be, in his best interest to be with that kind of organization and to be with Popovich. I mean, I feel like Popovich is not going to retire. He's basically going to be like the queen, you know, he's going to be there till it's, it's truly over. He will not retire. And, and I just think like the Spurs would be and it. Like what a great way to like revive, like a very storied franchise also. Well, yeah, I feel like a lot of Spurs fans that I talk to have already just assumed that they're getting him because it's like, well, we got Duncan. They're so very cocky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because, like, even – so I think they're the worst team in the league, Spurs. But they're only going to have a 14% chance at getting him from the draft lottery, right? Mm. And if you – so those that's, like, for the bottom three teams have a 14% chance, right? But then the fourth-place team has a 12.5% chance. So you're talking about a difference of one5 if you're trying to tank all the way to the bottom to maximize your choice, right? In what other world would an entire like multi-million dollar, really most of these organizations are billion dollars at this point, right? Would they completely steer their entire company and corporate strategy towards trying to increase their odds from like 12.5 to 14% at maybe getting lucky in a lottery? to you know get a player who's going to change their fortunes like the nba is such a weird 
um, you know, corporation, if you look at it that way, like there's just, it's such a minuscule uh, possibility that any of these teams are going to be able to get in, even if they try like crazy for the next six months to do it. So uh, I would just caution any Spurs fans who are like skipping steps mentally and already buying a, a Victor jerseys and, you know, <laughs> plotting out like the, the, uh, the NBA finals parade in like 2026, I would say slow your roll. You never know. It could be some team that finishes, you know, 12th in the order and just gets really lucky on draft lottery night. Do you think this is the the year that the NBA should legit rig the draft? You know what I mean? Like there's all that talk about like, what was it, 84? Like the Patrick Ewing one, the, yeah. the frozen envelope. Like, should we just start putting liquid nitrogen on envelopes like today? Well, where do you want him to land if you rig it? I mean, are you trying to put him in the know. biggest market? You know, like, you know, what if... I guess the Knicks theoretically could fall into the lottery. Maybe. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of money at stake, but I also think that the NBA is so committed to this idea of parity and small market balance and, you know, trying to have everybody have a chance and, you know, Kevin Durant can be a star in Oklahoma city. So you can be a star anywhere that I think that their official company line would be, no, just wherever he ends up is, is great for business. But I think we can all agree there'd be certain markets that would be, you know, a lot better for business than others in terms of how many viewers you get and how much attention you're getting yeah, and everything I, else. But. I guess what I'm really saying is I don't want to see him in Sacramento. No disrespect to Sacramento, yeah. but it's just, you know what I mean? Like you don't want him to go to a franchise that's proven they cannot build a winning team. I feel like well, careful that now, bad. careful now, because they used to say that about your Raptors, you know, and now look, look where you guys look, look how you turn things Ooh, around. Okay. We were different. So, we were different. We were different. Okay. Well, and, okay, and in ways that Grizzlies. I can't actually prove. No. <laughs> well, I used to say that about the Vancouver Grizzlies, and then they lost their team, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly uh, predicting Sacramento to have a Toronto-like turnaround. Let's put it that way. I mean, I think their 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 course is probably set, but I hear you. There's definitely better places for him to land than others, and um, you know, but most of the the competitors or the contenders this year for Victor are small market, like largely forgotten franchises, places mm -hmm. that superstars have left. James Harden leaves Houston. Dwight Howard leaves Orlando. And they kind of never recover. Like um, Paul George leaves Indiana. You know, it's like a lot of these teams have sort of felt left behind by the NBA's competitive landscape. And they've concluded like the only way for themselves to compete is to get a big time player in the draft. And so if now we're saying, sorry, we're rigging the draft so you can't get him, <laughs> then it's just like, well, at that point, you might as well just fold all those franchises. Like, what's the point, you know? So yeah. I, I don't, I'm yeah, saying that wasn't no. The, that wasn't the fun answer, but it's the correct I answer. Know. I, I'm saying no liquid nitrogen. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm right. shooting down your idea. I'll be on the side of no fun. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. One of us has to be. One of us has to be. <laughs> but Houston would be fun for him too, actually. Houston could be good. Um, all right, let's move on to our Raptors Homer moment here, finally. Um, okay, so I listen to a lot of, you know, NBA people. I, I almost use the word pundits, but I'm like, you know, I'm just going to say people. Listen to a lot of NBA stuff, and I feel like a lot of people have the Raptors pegged as a playoff lock but also a potential first round exit. Not saying that's how I personally feel, but I'm saying that's where I think the majority of, of NBA journalists kind of view him, view us right now. Want to know if that's what you think and if you see us going any further. And if so, what would that take? Well, first of all, where are you? How high are you right now? I mean, are you feeling like it's, it's time for another Larry OB or what do you think? 
No, I think we might have like a second round ceiling. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm more, I feel like I have a lot of concerns about our, our half court offense. I think our defense is spectacular, but it's like, it's almost like our defense is so like sprawling and takes up so much energy. And I feel like we're lacking a little bit on the offensive end. And so that is my, my biggest concern that, and I just don't want to see another Joel and bead from three to like win in overtime again. Like I definitely don't want to witness that again. And I don't know what we've done to actually prevent a play like that from happening again. Yeah, that was tough. I remember that series. I was calling Toronto America's team because everybody hates the Sixers. And so it was gonna, you guys were going to like finally, you guys were going to finally have your moment, you know, taking, uh, taking Philly out and you're going to be embraced by the United States. And it didn't quite happen. I'm actually with you. I think they could win a playoff series, but it does come down to matchups, right? Like if you get Miami and it's just kind of a slugfest series, you got a chance, right? If you get Giannis, um, I know you guys have matched up pretty well with Giannis in the past, but I think Milwaukee probably has more offense than you do. Similar deal with Boston, right? So I think a lot of it's going to come down to matchups. But, I mean, you saw it in an opening night against Cleveland. Like, you can win that series, you know? that's mm-hmm. There's no reason why Toronto couldn't beat Cleveland if that's a 4-5, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. So um, I, I love what the Raptors are building. I feel like they just need the fast-forward button on Scotty Barnes. You know, if you're three years from now, are we still saying you don't have enough offense or are we saying Scotty Barnes is like a do everything forward. Who's almost kind of like a point guard who's orchestrating, who's averaging 25 and, and six assists. And he's running an offense with a lot of shooters around him. That's working really, really well. I mean, and we could easily be there, uh, you know, in, in mm-hmm. 2026, right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not impossible until that happens though. I'm with you. The, you know, the creators, Fred's amazing. He gets absolutely everything out of his, you know, journey that he possibly could. But, you know, he's not going to be a top shelf postseason guard. Like, you know, there's just going to be other guys who take before him. And, and a similar deal with Pascal. I mean, just, you know, great, great season last year. I expect another great season this year. But does he have that extra gear that you can go to in the playoffs to be a takeover type guy? I would say probably not. It has to be more of a team collective effort. And I've been waiting for the OG and an OB offensive breakout for four straight seasons, still waiting. So maybe <laughs> that comes at some point, but, you know, probably not, right? So it really comes down to Barnes. You know, Barnes is the guy who you're just waiting on him to develop. And it doesn't always take people six years to reach their prime in the NBA on offense anymore, right? Like, I think he could get there by year three or year four, and the ceiling on the team really rises after that. What I love about Toronto, and I wrote this this summer, they're a sleeping giant. You know, Masai, first of all, Masai is the best GM in the NBA, flat out, period. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, he just is. Like, he's five-tool GM. You know, he could trade. He could trade away players. He could trade four players. He can draft. He can draft high. He can draft low. He can, um, you know, sign free agents, you know, big free agents. He can swing blockbusters. He can also just, you know, find the right role players to fill out his thing. I mean, he's just got every single thing you could possibly need charisma, everything. So what's even scarier about that for everybody else is he has all of his draft picks and he's got two current all-stars plus his rising all-star in Barnes, no bad contracts on his salary cap, none, and a whole bunch of flexible contracts he can trade, right? So if somebody becomes available, you know, where it's like this guy could be the right sidekick for Scotty, Masai has every asset he would need to go make that trade and bring that guy in, right? And so I think he's actually in, even in a better spot than he was when he traded for Kawhi in terms of assets, in terms of roster and everything else, because the main guys are a little bit younger. He has all these picks. And so I think, um, you know, you, you fast forward a couple of years, whether that's like Shea Gildas Alexander, I'm sure there's going to be people who talk about that because he's Canadian. 
or even if it's just yeah. somebody else who comes up on their second contract and is looking for a new home, Masai is going to be ready to pounce. And uh, I think people should not sleep on him. Like if we're saying like the next five years, would you rather be Miami or Toronto or Philly or Brooklyn? I would rather be Toronto than any of those other teams. Yeah, I I completely agree. And uh, you talked a little bit about OG. I feel like he's the player that I'm the most intrigued by this season. You know, you said like, you know, we keep waiting for him to have that like breakout year. And is it this year? You said you're still waiting. I, I, you know, he has had some weird and odd kind of injury luck in his career as well. But I, I, you know, I feel like I still believe in OG, but I also feel like because we've had this amazing development system with like Fred and Pascal, that maybe the expectations on him are not fair or realistic either. I feel like who he is this season is like who he's going to be. And I feel like as a fan, I just want to come to a place of acceptance, if that makes sense. But I'm still intrigued to see what it's going to be. No, it's a great take. I mean, Pascal is so much better than people thought when he came out. Fred wasn't thought to be anything. And he's an all-star. He, you know, almost led the league in minutes last year. OG is better than people thought he was going to be when he came out. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's already a developmental success story. I just feel like when you have those early, you know, a few couple of years ago, it felt like, wow, this guy could really ramp up and become more on offense. And it seems like, well, it's actually, you know, he's kind of a three and D plus, right? We're going to give you a little bit more than just being a three and D, uh, but that's okay too. I mean, what I love about Toronto is they spread the wealth. You know, they have a whole bunch of different guys who can contribute. That's probably going to change as Scotty gets better and better. Uh, but for right now, like having this very egalitarian offense where everybody gets a chance that keeps them invested defensively. I mean, you can only play right. this high energy, let's force turnovers, let's run around the court and you know try to exhaust our opponents. You can only play that style if everybody's engaged and feeling happy on the other end, right? Like if it's, if you only have two scorers, not everyone's going to want to play defense. So I love what Nick Nurse has created up there. Um, you know, I love what Masai, you know, Masai just wants every athlete. You know, what's the new center's name they've got? The real tall, skinny guy. I mean, it's just like a perfect, like, straight out of central is that coloco i think yeah, um, stri- straight out of central casting for raptors right it's just like oh yeah of course, <laughs> of, of, of course that guy's a raptor you know and um masai has a type and i just love masai's type yeah masai absolutely has a type um speaking of types maybe it's time for the nick oh, nurse <laughs> highlight of the week maybe it's time for my type. It's the return of this beloved segment, maybe by me only, but I always end every episode with this. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, Nick Nurse had uh, a very fun uh, charity benefit event uh, for his Nick Nurse Foundation. Uh, He had a lot of musical guests, including uh, Neo. Shout out to Neo, Miss Independent, right? And so probably seen seen him at a halftime show. I I, seriously, I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah. Yeah. Last year for the season opener, uh, the Raptors had Lupe Fiasco perform. And this year, just nobody. They just fully cut that out of the budget. I don't know why. But Lupe Fiasco was fun. Um, But in that case, I just wanted to throw you a very fun, silly question. And that is if you were having a charity benefit, who would be your musical guest, Ben? So I'm going to come with a little bit of a curveball answer on this one for you. Um, Hologram Tupac. And I don't understand exactly. (laughs) So when did Hologram Tupac first exist? Was Coachella like five years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So in my mind, when that happened, I was like, well, holograms are just here. You know, it's sort of like robots or AI or whatever. Like, we're just going to have hologram music at everything now, and it's going to be awesome. I still have not been to an event that had a hologram music. Like, there's no not been a halftime show that had a hologram or whatever. Like, it just hasn't spread enough. I don't know if the technology is just, like, too expensive or what the deal is. But hologram guys, step it up. We need to be able to have these... <laughs> You know, like you should be able to have almost anyone you want, right? Like what's what's the limiting factor here besides like, you know, human creativity? I think you yeah. should be able you know, like my dad loves Bob Dylan. You know, he's still going to Bob Dylan concerts. Like, can we get hologram Bob Dylan from nineteen sixty five? Or whatever. Yeah. I was you gonna know? say you could get holograms of people who are still alive. 100%. Right. They don't have to they don't have to be deceased. And maybe that's less expensive than getting the real thing. And have them play side by side. Here's current, you know, music acts. Here's the hologram <laughs> version of them from 25 years ago. That like, reminds that me of like unreal. The, that reminds me of like the wax statues. You know, when like yes. a celebrity goes and they visit their own wax statue. Oh my god. Well, can you imagine like Snoop Dogg, like just like a, a 90 early 90s version of Snoop Dogg hologram, and then real Snoop Dogg. You know, like he's yeah, really had a, he a nice out. journey. Young Jay Z current jay-z beyonce you know seeing 20 years ago um i think yeah. it would be awesome and i just i just encourage the hologram industry to try to expand you know like we just this needs to become like a, a normalized thing we don't need the 3d goggles we don't really need anything else we just need to be able to enjoy our favorite all-time musical acts in the hologram form oh my god that's incredible i uh, maybe i could get hologram nick nurse to show up to my events Boom. See, that's but what I'm saying. I don't even have to book the real guy. Well, I'm you sure know, like, Cammy. I feel like well, Nick would come. Well, well, so he'd probably give you a cameo. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Nick Nurse is on cameo because he has his own, like, hats with his initials on him, right? So he's probably on cameo. Yeah. Well, but, he but, sold but, his hats, too. Like, you, you could buy them. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. So he's he's got fan outreach is my point. And so mm -hmm. I think the next step is if he's on Cameo, I think Cameo is trying to do the same thing as the hologram people. They're trying to bring you closer to your favorite celebrities. So I feel like this is a natural just, you know, developmental or a, a developmental celebrity uh, business model where it's like, all right, well, you can get the video on your phone, right? But imagine if you can get a hologram video on your phone, right? That'd oh be even better. God. So like if it's your birthday and I send you hologram nick nurse playing his guitar and like singing your favorite <laughs> song isn't that the greatest birthday present ever aren't you just like in my debt for the rest of your life like that's incredible um and how much would that be worth you three thousand dollars ten thousand oh dollars like God. more than the typical cameo videos i'm just saying like they really need to step this up here there's a lot of money to be made yeah i think the celebrity that would make the most money off of that is the rock I feel like everyone would want The Rock at their birthday and he would just like cash in, you know? Hundred, I'm limitless financial opportunities for all wow. these celebrities. I mean, it, you honestly, you, you've you just like, you've created a whole new lane here. You did give well, me a curveball, but also this is just like a really good business venture. You're closer to, to Silicon Valley than anybody else I know. So I feel like you're the one to make that happen. Yeah, I don't understand why all the, the NBA uh, celebrities are are messing around with pickleball. Like they're all buying pickleball teams. This is the real future here. Okay, <laughs> so let's let's get back on track and uh, and make this thing happen. But um, who is your musical act? Like who is the? What was your answer to this question? 
I mean, my all-timer, the one that I'm the most obsessed with is Janet Jackson. That's just like okay. a loyalty thing from childhood. I absolutely love Janet Jackson. Typically, I just love a lot of like female pop R&B divas. So, you know, big on Beyonce, Lizzo, Lady Gaga. I don't try to be pretentious and cool about my taste in music. I love I love my divas and that's that's where I exist. Music. So young, young Whitney Houston hologram. Oh yeah! Oh, oh my god! Mm. I mean, I'm not even as a Canadian. If I saw a hologram of Whitney Houston singing the Star Spangled Banner, I would cry. And that's I'm not saying? even that's not even my anthem. I am right there with you. I'm not sure if I would cry, but I would probably choke back some tears. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great idea. It's the best. Ver- it's the best version of that ever. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know if that's a hot take, but I, in my opinion, it's the best version of that ever. Well, the Redeem Team documentary that came out recently was really pushing the Marvin Gaye Sp- uh, Star Spangled Banner hard. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's like yeah. very soulful. And I want to say Coach K of all people played it for the team to like get them ramped up before like their big uh, so much uh, Olympic so much journey. Patriotism was used. They're like bringing in guys from the army. I mean, it was like. Yeah, it was pretty wild. That was fun. That was a nice uh, nostalgic trip, that that doc. I did appreciate it. Yeah, and let me just say, like, having covered USA basketball, like, off and on, not at every tournament, but, like, a lot of their warm-ups in Vegas and stuff, they're dead serious about that. It's like service is, like, the first word that comes out of Jerry Colangelo's mouth every time. Coach K was always about that. Loyalty, duty, honor. Like, every speech that these guys gave, like, to the wow. media always was, like, focusing on that stuff. And it was a little bit like jarring coming from the NBA where like those things aren't really focused, you know, um, to this having the same players, but like a completely different messaging, but it worked for them. I mean, they got back on the gold medal track and uh, that documentary was pretty good. You know, it wasn't, wasn't great, but it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm ready for them to make the saddest documentary of all time, which is documenting the USA gold, uh, USA basketball gold medal at Tokyo where I was one of like 200 people in the empty arena watching them, you know, beat all these teams that they should be beating by 40 and like kind of struggling through it. And yeah. you know, very, very relieved to have the whole thing accomplished when it was over, but uh, we'll see if they ever put that one well, on Netflix. If they do, they should interview for you for it. I'm waiting. You know, they, they might, they gave me a quick interview for the bubble doc. Uh, I don't know when that one's ever coming out. But I, I did oh sit for yeah. That. That's exciting. I did sit for that when we were in the bubble. Um, I think I spent like half the interview trying to plug my book. So I'm not sure how well that went for them. Probably not going to make the director's yeah. cut. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, ben, thank you so much for joining me on this very special season debut episode. Uh, let all our listeners know uh, where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, WashingtonPost.com slash sports for all my writing. I've got a weekly newsletter, so you can sign up there. Um, I'm on Twitter at Ben Golver, on Instagram at Ben.Golver. And I do a podcast twice a week called The Greatest of All Talk. You can find that at greatestofalltalk.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and good luck to your Raptors. Thank you. Thank you.